0: So not too long ago, there was this app that came out called the Face app. And uh, it was this app that was growing in popularity for a while um, where if you upload your picture, one of the filters you could add to it is that it would make, uh, it would kind of translate your current image into what you would look like if you were an old person. Did anyone do that? Was it Was like a big thing for a while? Yep, Drew, apparently just <laughs> Drew and I. Okay, well, uh, if you want to go to the next slide, that's me now. Okay, and then if you were to apply the aging filter. <laughs> so, and that kind of like looks like my grandpa actually, so I felt like that was like, wow, that's actually pretty accurate. Now let's do one more, let's start with Dan Young. No, no, I said Dan when he's young. <laughs> That's not, not where we apply the aging filter. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so that's Dan Young. Okay, let's see what he looks like when he's aged. Okay. It actually looks more different on a, in, like, a small view. That actually doesn't look terribly different. No, I'm kidding. All right. Well, so it's a fun app. Yeah, you can go back to our slide. One of the things I remember thinking is, like, it's it can be difficult when you're young, Um, to sort of come to grips with the fact that, like, one day I'm going to be old. Like, one day I might look like that. Um, And I remember one of the thoughts I had when I looked at that app, because it looked kind of like my my grandfather, um, was like, wow, that seems fairly accurate. And you're kind of like, I'm going to, isn't it crazy that I could look like that someday? Like, assuming I live long enough, I I can be an old person. Um, And some of us maybe are a little bit older already. Um, I think when you're young, it, it, it can be easy to deny that you'll eventually get old. When you're older, I suppose, there's this tendency to always sort of deny uh, that you are old. So you might say, like, oh, I'm 40. 40 isn't old. 40 is, that's still young. You know, what would be old would be like 50 or 60, right? And then when you get to 50 or 60, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty. 50 and 60 isn't that old. What's really old is 70 or, you know, 80, and I'm, when you get to 80, I guess I'm not sure, like, you always, maybe you just still feel young or something. But there's this tendency to either want to, you know, pre, like, we either it's a hard thing for us to imagine, or we want to deny it. And what we're going to talk about in today's passage is the subject of youthfulness and aging, youthfulness and aging. Um, even as we read, you probably picked that up. And as we enter into the book of Ecclesiastes, our second to last week here, the the overarching sort of plot of Ecclesiastes, we get this individual who calls himself the preacher, who is on a quest to find out what is good for him to do, what is good for us to do the few days of our lives. He's asking questions of sort of ultimate meaning, and and what does it mean to exist? What What are we supposed to do with this one life that we have? And when we come to the beginning and the end of the book, as we approach the end of the book, I want you to notice something of the structure that we find. Um, it's, the book uses, at the beginning and the end, it uses this third-person voice, which I take to be something of a narrator that um, introduces the preacher. So you get this third-person voice, the preacher said, vanity of vanities. And at the beginning and at the end, you get that statement where he basically summarizes what the preacher's message is. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And so we're going to have the, the uh, narrator, I believe, come in towards this, uh, this next section that we'll get to next week. But the other thing that you get is that structures the whole book, is at the beginning and end, not only do you get the refrains, but you also get two poems that introduce the book and end the book. Now, if you have the ESV, it's not going to show as a poem, but some translations will put, um, this section as well, as poetry. So you get these two poems at the beginning and the end. And what that seems to be doing is at the front end and the, begin- and, the- and that latter end is it seems to be a- telling us how to read the whole book. So at the front end you get this poem that nothing is new. Nothing is to be gained. Everything in creation just kind of goes on its cycle. All is vanity. To-, to try to go after something as if you can manipulate and change the circumstances It's a chasing after wind. And then at the end of the book now, when he talks about youthfulness and aging, his point seems to be this. Learn the lesson of the the book, the lesson I just gave you in the first poem. Learn the lesson of the book while you're young. Learn it even as you're young. And the message is to enjoy things, as he'll tell us in this this poem, enjoy life. Just as he's commended throughout the book, find joy, but as one who fears God. As one who fears God. And and I would say, too, just at the outset, even though this poem is talking to younger folks, I still think we could say, even to folks here who may consider themselves older, or maybe halfway to being old, or wherever you place yourself, this isn't irrelevant to anyone who's not young. The message can still be, with whatever time you have le- left with your life, heed this message but particularly to those who are young, who have their life, whole life ahead of them. Our particular section here, chapter 11, verse 7 to 12, verse 7, I want to kind of walk you through some of the structure of this passage. Um, So specifically looking at chapter 11, 7 through 10, you get these three um, statements that all kind of have the same shape to them. They start off with a statement of rejoicing, whether it uses that word or not, this idea of rejoicing, enjoying life, and then a but-remember sort of statement, or but-know-this, or for-this-is-the-case. And so there's three of those sort of statements, a rejoice, but-remember. And the first or the, the first and the third, sort of the, the, the top and the tail, the ends, say something like, enjoy life, and but-remember-this, youthfulness is fleeting. All that comes is vanity. Youthfulness is vanity. So you get vanity at the end of each of those as well. So, so enjoy life, but, but remember this about youthfulness, vanity. And the middle one says enjoy life again, but, and in this, in this case it's remember judgment or, but know that for all things you will be judged. So let me just walk you through that. Verse seven, light is sweet. And it is a pl- and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. The idea seems to be this sort of sun language throughout the book. Under the sun is to exist, to be alive. It is a pleasant thing to be alive. It is pleasant to, to be able to, to exist, to be one who can behold the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Enjoy them. Enjoy the life that you have. But... Let him remember that the day of darkness will be many. The, the idea of aging and the coming of death. All that comes is vanity. Or skip down to 10, verse 10, where we see the the, the third of these. Remove vexation from your heart. Remove anxiety, it could be said. Or or put away pain from the body. For, here's the but sort of statement, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So enjoy but, youthfulness is fleeting. And then the middle statement, verse eight. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them or sorry, verse nine, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Let your heart be cheer you, let you let you walk in the ways of your heart, follow your heart, we might say, and and follow the sight of your eyes, and enjoy what's before you, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Rejoice, but remember. And then in chapter 12, 1 through 7, we also get a remember statement. And there, we'll look at that in a little bit. But there, he unpacks sort of what this aging process looks like. He unpacks the aging process, gives us a reflection on that. And We might summarize the the, 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 the message of this passage this way. I'm going to put it this way. Live your life Backwards. Live Your Life Backwards. Now, this is the title, Living Your Life Backwards is the title of a book by David Gibson on Ecclesiastes. I have not read that book, so I'm not trying to draw that the message of that book. Uh, I've heard it's a good book, though, and I think Dan has read parts of it. But that, that is how I, I think it's a great title for this particular passage, Living Your Life Backwards. And at least what I mean by that is this. This passage is commending to us that we should start with an understanding of the end of life. And then make that the starting point for how we live our life even now. Live your life from from a perspective of, of, of looking at life backwards. Start at where life is going to end. Start at where you know life is going. And make that the starting point for how you live your life now. So for example, youthfulness is fleeting. You're not going to be young forever. Eventually you're going to age How does that reality, how should that shape your life even now? Or you're not going to live forever. Eventually there's going to come a day where you will die and you will be judged by God. How does that shape your life even now? How should I live my life now in light of its inevitable end? You might put it this way as well, that it's only when we learn how to die... That we truly learn how to live. That is only when we come to learn how to die, when we're ready to die well, that we're able to then finally live well. And as we've seen throughout the book, that it's the book teaches us it's good to be confronted with our own mortality. And in chapter seven, verse two, it says it's better to go to the house of mourning, the, the, the funeral home, than the house of 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 myrrh than to go to the house of feasting, the party. For this is the end of all mankind, mourning, the, 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 the funeral, death. The living lay it to heart. Or Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That there's something good about facing reality of where we're going. And that's what Ecclesiastes wants us to do today. And so I want to break our sermon down into really five responses to this message. I, five responses I think we should take away, or that we'll take away this morning. And the first is to enjoy life. It's simply this, to enjoy life. That's what the passage commands. Rejoice. Remove vexation. Go after, like, pursue what is before your eyes, what your, your heart desires. And you'll notice that it's not just the passage, it's not just that this is permitted, that we're permitted to enjoy, but that we're actually commanded to enjoy. Like to not enjoy is not just unfortunate, but it's actually to disobey God. This is contrary to the view then that God is somehow a cosmic killjoy who doesn't want us to actually enjoy the life that He's given us. We can actually disobey God by not enjoying in the way he lays out for us, by enjoying the gifts. There's actually a way of living our life that so neglects the teaching that Ecclesiastes has for us of enjoying life that we sort of neglect the gifts he's given us, or or we we abuse them in such a way that we don't actually enjoy them as we ought and that we were meant to, but that we find life unnecessarily dissatisfacting and, and vexing that this is actually one of the messages that the book has laid out for us, is, is it not? This idea of pursuing joy, of, of being able to find joy, even as those who fear God. In fact, it's as those who fear God that we'll, that will put ourselves in a position to enjoy his good creation, the way he intends. And so this isn't the idea of sort of we have to be people who fear God and understand that he's going to judge us in such a way that therefore it... Is a big wet towel on our enjoyment of God, our enjoyment of this world. That fearing God isn't contrary to enjoying this world. That we're not allowed to pursue enjoyment because we're going to be judged, and therefore he's going to judge us. So I guess we shouldn't enjoy anything because that would be naughty. No, it's actually if if we if we think that enjoying life is contrary to fearing God or enjoying life is contrary to judgment. It's because we've fallen susceptible to a parody view of what joy is that we as CS Lewis, I'm going to paraphrase, but as he says that we, we wouldn't ever want to have, we, we say no to a holiday at the beach because we don't know the joys of it. So we we get to find ourselves satisfied with just playing with mud pies that the book is actually after the purest form of joy. It's not contrary to joy, and it's actually by fearing God that we put ourselves in a position to most enjoy life, even amidst a messed up world. But he wants us in this passage, he wants us to live our life backwards in that way, to enjoy God, to enjoy this life in light of the fact that youthfulness is fleeting. Enjoy life as you have it now because youthfulness is Fleeting, and we'll look at chapter 12 now. I want to walk us through there. Um, many of you, I mean, I'm sure most of us here know who Muhammad Ali is. Muhammad Ali is arguably one of the best athletes to ever live, uh, arguably one of the greatest boxers to ever live. And in his prime, obviously, uh, this predates me when I was alive, but from what I've seen of him and what I know of him, he was just an incredibly agile and powerful fighter. Um, you know, in, in his—I mean, one of the most prime athletes, right? Able to move around the ring, dodge punches, land them, and yet when he gets old, is—is as, as I think he died maybe in the early two, uh, teens, 2000 teens. Um, but when you had those interviews with him, and he got Parkinson's, and he had so many blows to the head, um, by the time he was old, like he could barely talk, and he's shaking. Isn't that just an incredible picture of youthfulness decaying? Not just any youth, but Muhammad Ali. And he finds himself in a position where he can't even take care of himself. He can hardly talk. His hands are just shaking constantly. That's sort of the picture we get here in chapter 12 of of youthfulness is fleeting. There's going to come a day where it decays. You're not going to be young forever. He says in verse 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. And then we get this picture of of sort of, we get if, up until verse 6, we get these images. There's imagery here that's meant to give us sort of an impression. It's painting an impression on us of sort of the uh, The evils, we might say, the unfortunate realities of aging. We begin in verse 2 with sort of these dark, cold days that sort of creep in on the scene. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. As we saw, being under the sun and seeing the sun is pleasant. And so here there's the opposite of, of aging and approaching death as a darkness that's coming. And the clouds return after the rain, so even after it's rained, the cl- rain, the clouds come back. Which in that ge- area, that geography, would have been a signal of winter coming, these cold days coming, and the rains are constantly coming. In verse three and four, we get a picture of a decrepit estate. In the in the days when the when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent; they're hunched over like old folks. Sometimes they lose their uh Posture. The grinders cease because they are few. The the people at the mill, those who who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinders is low. This this estate, this house, where it used to be busy, it used to be kept up, and, and, and there's so much lively activity. And now it's brought to this place where there's not many people in it, and things are decrepit, and then we get this picture of these images of the aging process. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, that old, when you get old, sometimes you just, you can't, you find yourself not able to sleep in, that you just, you wake up at the sound of even a bird. But yet the daughters of the bird are brought, or the daughters of the song are brought low, probably these daughters of the, of the song, probably, um, an idiom, a phrase for the birds. You're not able to enjoy them as well as you once were. They are afraid of what is high. That there's there's a fear of falling when you're older. It can be quite dangerous to fall. You're not going to recover as easily. There are terrors in the way that the streets. There's there's a certain fear that can that can come in age. That maybe you were once you know fearless, but now the way is 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 a terror. The almond tree blossoms. That as the almonds would blossom, they would grow white. So it's probably the idea of the of your hair growing white. The grasshopper drags itself along. This this grasshopper, this animal, this bug that's known for agility, be able to jump and move. This this picture of a grasshopper just—it's not doing what you expect it to do. It's dragging itself along. And so, so many times when people get older, they have to use walkers and such. And it's almost like this—it's this parody of who they used to be. They used to be able to walk and move, and now they have to like drag themselves along. Desire fails, which is in the Hebrew, it's literally referring to a certain berry that was, uh, it was basically like the Viagra of the day. So he's saying that that's not working anymore. Sexual desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. It's, it's a funeral procession. We get this picture then in verse 6 of broken vessels, these vessels that represent life being broken. Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain, at the well, and the wheel broken at the cistern. And then very literally, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. I looked up some... Uh, Descriptions, medical descriptions, went to Mayo.com or org or whatever it is, and and I looked up some description of the aging process. Okay, when you get older, your blood vessels and arteries start to stiffen, meaning your heart has to work harder to pump blood through them, and your heart rate, though, it loses its ability to increase uh, production as much as it did once, once did during strenuous activities. Your bones, they tend to shrink in size and density, weakening them and making them more susceptible to fracture. You might even become shorter. You might shrink. Muscles generally lose strength, endurance, and flexibility, which can affect your coordination and balance. You can have age-related structural changes in your large intestines, which can result in more constipation in older adults. Your bladder becomes less elastic as you age, resulting in the need to urinate more often. Weakening of bladder muscles and pelvic floor muscles may make it difficult for you to empty your bladder completely or cause you to lose bladder control, which leads to urinary incontinence. But don't worry, there are Kegel exercises you can do where you exercise your pelvic floor muscles by squeezing the muscles as you would if you were trying to stop from passing gas. You should do this at least three times a day. It's a great... It's just, aren't you looking forward to this? Your brain starts to shrink. Your hearing goes. Your eyesight wanes. Your metabolism slows down, making it easier for you to gain weight. Your skin becomes less elastic and you bruise more easily. I, your brain can shrink. That's, that's a crazy one, right? I mean, there's so many things to look forward to. And so secondly... Don't let life pass you by. Enjoy life and don't let it, don't let life pass you by. Because eventually there is going to come when you won't be able to enjoy life as you could in your youth, is his point. Verse 1 there in chapter 12. Before the evil day comes and the years draw near, of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. There's going to come a day when it's much more difficult to find pleasure, where your body aches, your body hurts it's harder to get sleep things don't work the way they should so enjoy life and don't let it pass you by i mean i'm turning 30 in about a week and a half um, which i was just reminded of i i like forget my birthday and it's crazy to think i'm 30 now and just like life goes by so fast or i have two daughters and they just seem to grow up like crazy right if you're a parent or if you had kids like they're just Kids grow up so fast. Jubilee's like two and a half. Evangeline's turning one soon. It's just, it's crazy for me to look at Evangeline, the younger one, and be like, man, she's gonna be like the same age as Jubilee, like this time next year, basically. And be like, she's just a baby now, but just think when she's like a toddler. Like life is just so fast. I remember when I was a kid, you would be at like a playground or something like that, and your parents would say, it's time to go, and what would you say? Five more minutes? Ten more minutes? And when they said yes, like the 10 minutes felt like a really long time. To have 10 more minutes, whoa. Or something was an hour long, like, whoa, that was long, right? And now, like, 10 minutes is like nothing, and an hour is like nothing, and years go by. Like, not only does life fly by, but it seems to fly faster as you go. Like, I can't imagine being like, when I get to 40 and 50 and 60, are are days going to be even more faster? (laughs) I heard it, yep. I mentioned this song last week, but "Cats in the Cradle" by uh, Harry Chapman. You guys know that song, "Cats in the Cradle," and the silver spoon, the little boy blue, and the man in the moon. Uh, when you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we're gonna have a good time then. It's just it always like kind of gets to my heart like that song because it, it's this picture of like he goes from the point where he has a, a boy the birth of the child, and he's too busy to really be around. And each verse is sort of this subsequent, like, I'm too busy to be around. And the boy is constantly saying, I'm going to be like you, Dad. I'm going to be like you. And then when he's old enough that his boy is an adult, now his son has become like him. He doesn't have any time for his dad. because His dad never made time. He's like, we'll, we'll hang out eventually, but never made time for it. Always pushed it off. It's that picture. Don't let life pass you by. You're only young once. Life is fleeting. The time to start living is in the present. Third, don't put your stock in youthfulness. Don't live for youthfulness. And this is something that I think we see our culture doing quite a bit, where our culture idolizes youth, right? Commercials are, are often targeted to people in their, in their young adults, um, there's sort of this impression, there's sort of this assumption that if you talk about things of like aging, like yes, as we just saw, this passage does talk about aging and there are certain negative aspects to it, obviously. But there are also like positive aspects to aging that our culture just seems to dismiss as if like youthfulness is like, the, that's it. And once you become old, we can kind of forget about you. And so like everything is held up as, as a youth-driven Culture, a youth-centered culture. In this passage, would push back against that and say, "Don't put all your stock in youth. Youthfulness is fleeting. Don't live for youthfulness." There's a movie um, which I have not seen, but I came across this scene in the movie. It's uh, it's called City Slickers, starring Billy Crystal. And there's a scene in the movie where he's like doing one of those. Uh, like job fair type, like where they're in front of a classroom of like elementary students and all the parents are talking about their jobs or whatever. It's like always in these movies where people do that. And and, and he's sharing about his job and he's like, a, he sells commercials on the radio or something. And he, in the middle of like when he's supposed to be sharing about how great his job is and teaching all these kids, he sort of has this midlife crisis right before them. He just starts to stare off in the distance and just become really cynical. And he says this, Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life where you still have choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your twenties are a blur. Your thirties, you, you, you raise a family and you make a little money and you think to yourself, what happened to my twenties? Your forties, you grow a little pot belly. You grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you have a major surgery. The music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyways. 70s, you you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale, and you start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, lunch around 10, and breakfast the night before. You spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate in soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? By the 80s, you've had a major stroke and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand but you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> this idea of, uh, of this crisis of like youthfulness is fleeting. Putting your stock there, it's, it's, it's vapor. It's a chasing after wind. Youthfulness is a good thing, we should enjoy it, as he says. But but don't put your sock there. Vanity. As one commentator, Derek Hidner says, he says to idolize the state of youth and to dread the loss of it, therefore. To idolize the state of youth and to dread the loss of it is disastrous. It spoils the gift even while we have it. Fourthly, live for what matters. If we are to live our life in light of its end, if we are to live life backwards, it means we need to live for what matters. We need to, to think through our priorities, live intentionally, live with sobriety. As he says in, in chapter 12, verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, that in the days of your youth you should even be remembering your Creator. Or, or knowing that we live life in light of the fact that we will be judged, chapter 11, verse 9. John Piper, uh, uh, former pastor out in Minneapolis, uh, he has this famous line in a sermon that also made its way into a book called Don't Waste Your Life, where I believe the context is he's talking about, um, the idea that there was these young missionaries that died on the mission field. And, and the idea was, oh, what a waste. These young people dying so young. What a waste. And he says this. It's a famous illustration that he gave. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took an early retirement, quote, took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. End quote. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life. And let that be the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator. Let it be this playing softball, and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great judgment. Lord, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. It reminds me of Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, who at a young age wrote resolutions, who said this. Resolved that I will live so as I should wish I had done when I come to die. That I will live so as I should wish I had done when I come to die. Living life backwards or as C.T. Studd said in one of his famous poems, Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Fifthly and finally is to remember judgment. Remember judgment. That as as those who are going to give an account for our life, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Enjoy life, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. And so it's not sort of when he says to enjoy life, it's not sort of this blank check to enjoy it however you want and sort of a perverted going after sin, a parody of true joy. But as we might say, it would be rejoice responsibly enjoy responsibly and it, this this kind of alludes to the very end of the book in, verse, in chapter 12 verse 13 through 14 the last lines where he says this that the end of the matter is this all has been heard here's the conclusion to the book fear God and keep his commandments this is the whole duty of man this is what it's all about for God will bring every deed into judgment same word with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And we, we kind of see these twin themes throughout the book of, of enjoy life. Enjoy life, but, but as those who fear God, with an understanding that there is a judgment. As, as one commentator says that this passage here, and really what we could say the whole book then, is, is that it, it, it matches the delight of existence with the seriousness of it. That there's a matching of the the delight of life, of our existence, with the seriousness of this life. And, And this really harkens us back to the themes of creation, does it not? We see in chapter 12, verse 7 there, that the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Which, if I'm going to turn to Genesis 2 if you want to, you can. But this really reminds us of the Genesis account. Where in Genesis 2... Verse seven, when God is creating Adam, he says this, it says, then the Lord God formed man from the dust, from the ground, and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That, that last line in our passage reminds us, it's, it's directly, it, it, it's purposefully alluding to this Genesis account. That God has created us from the dust and he actually breathed the life breath into us. He gave us life. It's a reminder that when we think about the Genesis account, it's a reminder that we were created for a world where we would enjoy things. We were created for paradise, the Garden of Eden, to enjoy God forever and to enjoy his good gifts. But we're also reminded in this verse, in chapter 12, verse 7, this language also reminds us of the fall. That as Adam and Eve sinned, one of the, the curses was that they would then return to dust. From dust they were made, and to dust you will return, chapter 3. Till, to, till, to, until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. As Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, he says, I know this thing, that God has made man upright, but man has sought out many schemes, that we rebelled against God. We found ourselves now in a position where we live in a messed up world, where we experience pain, where we are subject to God's wrath. And this passage also reminds us of that reality, that as those created for enjoyment, created for paradise, who have fallen away, we have God as our judge. Why does this passage, for example, in 12.1 call him creator? Remember your creator. Why not just say God? Because part of the idea of God being our creator is that he owns us. He made us. He gets to tell us how we should live. He is our judge. We are accountable to him, the one who made us, the one who owns our existence. And as he says in chapter 12, verse 7, that the Spirit will return to the God who gave it. Like the Spirit is not our own. Our own Spirit, our own life is not our own. It's going to go back to the one who authored it. The one who has authority over it. The one to whom we must give an account. He gave it. It's his. And as we think about this judgment, though, we're also reminded that in Genesis, the story doesn't end there. But in chapter 3, verse 15, we get the first announcement of the gospel, which is this. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That even in the midst of this, this portrait of a beautiful creation lost and humans rebelling and being subject to death, God promises, I will nonetheless redeem you. There will be a seed. We know this seed is ultimately Christ who comes and he crushes the serpent's head even as his, bruises, his heel is bruised. And Christ did this particularly by taking that judgment for us. That as we've sinned and the goodness of creation has been corrupted and as we ourselves are subject to God's wrath as a holy God who will always judge evil, including the evil that is ourselves, Nonetheless, that God is so loving that he sent his son to take on the form of humanity. That that human then that, that human Christ would become a mediator, entering into our place, becoming a substitute for us, representing us before God so as the wrath of God is poured out on Christ, all those who trust in Christ then stand before God as completely forgiven. And today, if, if you're here and you're not a believer, we would, we would say this message to you, which is live your life backwards. What does it mean for you to live your life backwards? What does it mean for you to live your life in light of its inevitable end? That one day you will die. That one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That life is fleeting. This isn't going to last forever. Don't put off what you need to do to make yourself right with God by trusting in the only Savior he has provided, Jesus Christ. That it's only when you learn how to die that you learn how to live. And as we get ready to take part of the Lord's Supper, if the musicians want to come forward, that as believers, that is the hope that we have. That as we live our life backwards, that we have a hopeful view of the future. Because that judgment, that that inevitable judgment that we face, the cross tells us that that judgment that is to occur at the end of history has already occurred in the person of Jesus Christ for us. That that judgment has already been executed in our place, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we as a people, we can enjoy life knowing its end, but we have even greater reason to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is this, is this pictured promise to us of the gospel. That is a picture that Christ has taken the judgment for us. That is, as Christ sort of revised the Passover meal, a meal that celebrated God's judgment passing over His people. So the Lord's Supper, a new Passover meal, is a picture that God's judgment has passed over us, those who trust in Christ, because of what He has done in taking on a body and, and pouring out His blood for us. Um, at Crossway, we believe this is a this is meant specifically for believers as a picture of the salvation believers have. If you are not a believer, we would ask for you to refrain. Um, But we would invite all those who are are trusting in Christ, repentantly, uh, striving to live for Christ, will come forward at this time and continue in song.